0: with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. Sermon text for this morning will be Acts chapter 9, verses 31 to 43. Please uh, pray with me before we read that together. Oh Lord, we do pray that you would Speak to us that we might speak of your glory and your grace in your Son. And I pray that you would work in me right now that I would be able to speak of your glory and your grace in your Son, and uh, that you would allow my words to be true and right and good and uh, clearly communicate uh, the message of the gospel found in the scriptures. I Pray that you would uh, give us all ears to hear your word Uh, minds to understand, hearts to receive uh, what You have done in Your Son and what You now call us to as Your people who are in Him. Uh, Bless our time together now by Your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, Heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Well, I have to confess that I feel completely inadequate to pastor a church. Uh, I don't know if I've said this before or if I've said it too much, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, I come to an end of myself almost weekly. Really, I should come to an end of myself weekly, probably even daily, uh, but sometimes I think I can do it. Uh, You know how that is, right? You try something and you fail, you try and you fail, you try and you fail, you try, and you get this little smidgel of success, and suddenly you think that you can take on the world, Uh, right? We get cocky, we get self-reliant, and we think, look, look, I did it, just this little bit, now I can do it. Uh, At other times, of course, I think there's absolutely no way. Uh, Who am I? I I've got nothing, Uh, and I give up and I throw in the towel and just think no there's just this isn't going to work. Of course it's when I get over myself, when I stop looking at me that I start and I start to see God's promises. I start to see his promises to be with me. Like many of the promises we read earlier, the promise to Moses, the promise to Gideon, the promise to Jeremiah. God's promises to bear fruit in me or to work through me. And suddenly, uh, success, whatever that looks like, is is not on me, it's on Him. It's on God and His work in and through me, and I begin to have hope. You see, God accomplishes His mission through His people, but by His power. His resurrection power. And that's what we're going to be looking at a bit this morning. Uh, We're going to see that God uses these, these signs of resurrection life, to bear witness to Jesus' power and bring all kinds of people to himself. So our outline this morning, you can see it's on the back of your bulletin, is very simple, God's mission, God's people, God's power. So first, God's mission. What is God's mission? Okay, that's maybe too big of a question. Uh, We're in the book of Acts, right? So uh, let me put it differently. What What is Jesus' program for the church in Acts? Jesus commanded his disciples to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we've seen that that, that program uh, progresses through the book of Acts, right? So the church has spread out from Jerusalem to Samaria, into uh, Judea. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, we read, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And and notice the subtle echo of Acts 1.8 there. You have the mention of both Judea and Samaria, the church which uh, in the beginning of Acts existed in one little upper room in Jerusalem has now expanded to uh, not only the rest of Jerusalem but Judea and Samaria as well, just as Jesus said. And so the question that that leaves us with is, where next? Right, where next, Jesus? You said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, the gospel has gone from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. Uh, where next? And, and Luke, uh, the writer of Acts, in these three little vignettes in the end of chapter nine, he gives us kind of a preview. Uh, he does a little bit of foreshadowing of what's gonna happen in the rest of the book, a foreshadowing of God's mission in the, the remainder of the book of Acts. We, we, of course, know from Acts 1.8 that the answer to the question, where next, is the end of the earth. Right? That, that's, that's where it's got to be going next. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. Uh, but what we see from each of these vignettes is uh, from verses 32 to 43, they give us a different facet of what that means. A little different picture of what it means that the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. In the first place, that, that uh, we see the gospel is going is, is actually Rome. Uh, now, I know you're thinking, where in the world is that in verses 32 to 34? Well, uh, this, this is where Acts is going, after all, we know that. Uh, by the end of the book of Acts, um, Paul is preaching the gospel in Rome. How does this first story foreshadow that? Well, verses 32 to 34, they give us a pretty sparse story, right? Very few details. Uh, Peter is going here and there among them all. I love that phrase. He's going here and there uh, uh, among them all, probably meaning among all the new believers in the area. And he comes to the saints at Lydda, uh, which is this little town northeast of Jerusalem, about 10 miles off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And, uh, and there is this man at Lydda named Aeneas. And uh, we're not told whether this man is a believer or not a believer. Later, we'll be told that Tabitha was a disciple. We're not told that about Aeneas. Uh, We're only told that he was bedridden for eight years and paralyzed. Peter says in verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately uh, he rose. And that's the whole story. It seems straightforward enough Uh, in some ways. It's obviously miraculous. Jesus heals this person, Aeneas, but it's also kind of unremarkable at the same time. And, And I say that because the truth is throughout the book of Acts, Peter heals lots of people. Why single out this particular healing? What's the big deal? Why is it important? And Luke is singling it out. Uh, Why do I say that? Because it's interesting, throughout Luke's two volumes, the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, uh, Luke only names four people who are healed. Throughout throughout both books, four people. Uh, None of them are in the Gospel of Luke, which means all four people who are named, who are healed, are in the Book of Acts. And uh, uh, one of those is Paul. Okay, he's kind of significant. You know, Paul receives his sight uh, after he goes blind. Uh, The other three are are Eutychus in Acts chapter 20. We'll get to Eutychus. And the other two that receive healing in the book of Acts that are named are Aeneas and Tabitha in this chapter. So the fact that he is named actually makes him significant. Luke is is giving some significance to this person. So we ask, again, why why does Luke mention Aeneas' name? Add to this, actually, the fact that the name Aeneas was not common. Uh, You know, Sophia, the name Sophia, uh, has been in the top five baby girl names in the past 10 years, top five in 10 years, and that's like over 10,000 Sophias a year. That's a lot of Sophias. Um, According to one writer, uh, there are six examples of someone being named Aeneas in Palestine between the beginning of written Greek up to the 6th century AD. Uh, Six examples in 1,400 years in Palestine. This is not a popular Palestinian name. Uh, And yet it was a well-known name. Uh, It was a well-known name because Aeneas is the name of the legendary figure who traveled from Troy to Rome to become the father of the Roman people. And so one article suggests that the reason Luke mentions his name is to foreshadow where all of this is going. Uh, The title of that article, by the way, is called uh, You Can't Hear Aeneas Without Thinking of Rome. Now, we can hear Aeneas without thinking of Rome, but they couldn't hear Aeneas without thinking of Rome. It'd be like mentioning your Uncle Sam to make people think of the U.S., if you had an Uncle Sam. Uh, And so Luke mentions Aeneas the name Aeneas, to make his readers think of Rome. This is where we're going, people. We're going to Rome, he's saying, because Rome is where where the book of Acts is headed. And yet it's it's not just headed to Rome, right? Uh, This story is is headed to the Gentiles, specifically. Uh, And so the next story in uh, in Acts 9 is about the raising of Tabitha. And we'll talk a little more about Tabitha herself in a minute, but for now, again, notice, notice where this story takes place. Uh, again, here Luke mentions the location more often than normal, so as to emphasize it. Uh, verse thirty-six: uh, There was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha. Verse thirty-eight: Since Lido was near Joppa, the disciple sent two men. Verse forty-two: The healing became known throughout all Joppa. Verse forty-three: Peter stays in Joppa for for many days. Joppa is mentioned four times in eight verses. Why is that significant? Who cares where it was? What difference does it make? Uh, Why mention it again and again and again? Well, where have you heard Joppa before? Uh, Jonah chapter one, right? Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Joppa is Jonah's starting point for his flight from God's mission. What was God's mission for Jonah? To go to the capital city of his day and preach to the Gentiles. Where does the book of Acts end? In the capital city of the day, Rome, with Paul preaching to who? The Gentiles. And so Luke is kind of weaving together this story, mentioning certain details, not making them up, right? But highlighting certain details and not others because those details connect this story to the bigger story. There's something bigger going on, right? We're headed to Rome, we're headed to the Gentiles. God's mission is going forward, unlike in Jonah, where Jonah picks up and runs the opposite direction, right? Peter and Paul, they are fulfilling God's mission in this book. So the gospel is going to Rome. It's going to the Gentiles. And, uh, and, and then one more, actually, the gospel is going to the unclean. Uh, verse 43 of uh, chapter 9, the very last verse, simply says, And he, that is Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Again, it, it's kind of simple enough. It, it seems like almost a throwaway line. He's just saying, here's where, here's where Peter stayed while he was in Joppa. Um, What do we know about this man, Simon? Well, we know very little. We know his occupation. Uh, What is his occupation? His occupation is he's a tanner. What does a tanner do? Uh, A a tanner is someone who treats animal skins to make leather. Why is that significant? Why does Luke mention this? Who cares uh, that, that Simon was a tanner? Well, one reason is this. Tanners were perpetually unclean. They dealt with dead animals all day long. And so to deal with the dead made one ritually unclean. And I'm told that in uh, Jewish writings say that tanners were despised because of their ongoing uncleanness caused by their trade, not to mention the bad smell associated with the tanning process. So apparently they didn't, that not only were they unclean, they smelled bad. Now this may have mattered very little to Peter, we don't really know, but maybe it was a sign that Peter was learning Maybe it was a sign that Peter was learning that ritual uncleanness or ritual cleanness is not important, only cleanness of the heart. So where is this story going? Well, this story is going ultimately to Rome as the ends of the earth in the day. Before that, it's going to the unclean Gentiles in the very next chapter. In the very next chapter, Peter is going to go to Gentiles who are unclean. Right now he's going to to Joppa, he's going to an unclean Jew. One step further in the next chapter, unclean Gentiles. So you put this picture together in these three sections and you get the idea that the gospel is going out to all kinds of people. Uh, Luke has this habit, actually, we'll see it again in the book of Acts, of putting two or three stories right next to one another in order to picture the breadth of God's grace. So you have Aeneas, a man who's bedridden for eight years, being bedridden, he would have been the object of charity, Right, he couldn't work, couldn't care for himself. Uh, Then you have Tabitha, a woman, who, by the way, was likely a former slave. Uh, Why do I say that? Well, Tabitha, the Hebrew name Luke mentions is Dorcas in Greek, both mean gazelle, and uh, one commentator points out uh, that it was common in the Roman era to give women the names of female animals, especially slave women. He says it's possible uh, that Tabitha was a, a freed woman. Her Ministry of Charitable Deeds suggests she was a person of some means and freedom. So Tabitha was at least possibly a former slave, now this wealthy entrepreneur and philanthropist. And, uh, and then you have Simon, a Jew, whose occupation keeps him unclean according to the Jewish law. And so you have these three very different people, very different Positions in life, very different spaces. A man who had been a charity case for years, a former slave woman turned philanthropist, and an unclean, smelly leather worker. What's the point? Uh, The point is that the gospel is for everyone, right? All kinds of people. God's kingdom does not segregate based on geography or gender or ethnicity or occupation. God's mission is to bring all kinds of people into his family. Uh, This is something that we need to be continually reminded in the church, It certainly was an issue throughout the early church. Many of the letters in the New Testament deal with this struggle to actually grasp this fact. Uh, It's something we need to be continually reminded of as well. Where is God's mission headed? Uh, To Rome, to the Gentiles, to the unclean, to to men and women, sick and well, rich and poor, white-collar entrepreneurs, and blue-collar workers. And we should want our church to reflect that. Uh, that, that is, we should want our church to reflect the diversity of our particular time and place. Right? If, if we live in Lydda, we want the church to reflect the people of Lydda. If we lived in Joppa, we would want the church to reflect the people of Joppa. Uh, the same is true in Jerusalem or Antioch, Baltimore or Beijing, uh, and even Urbana-Champaign. Right? We should make it our aim to reach the people around us, not just the people who are like us, but the people who are around us, whatever they are like. And so first, uh, God's mission, right, is to reach all kinds of people with the gospel. And how does that move forward? How does, how does God's mission move forward in the book of Acts? Well, it moves forward through God's people, which brings us to the next point. Uh, notice Peter in these two, two or three stories. Uh, of course, Peter is a little bit unique, isn't he? Peter and the apostles both are, are unique, um, these stories of, of healing are written in such a way so as to echo the healings of Jesus in the Gospels. Uh, there are really clear echoes, very details that are echoed. So Jesus in Luke 5, we read earlier, heals a paralyzed man. He says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Uh, Peter says to Aeneas, rise and make your bed. Uh, Jesus in Luke 7 raised a widow's son, uh, a young man. He says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up, and Jesus gives him to his mother. Peter sees the widows weeping over Dorcas. Uh, He raises her. She sits up. Peter presents her to the saints and the widows. Uh, Jesus, in Luke chapter 8, raises Jairus' daughter. Uh, He uh, he lets no one enter the room. Uh, He takes the little girl by the hand and says, Child, arise, which Mark actually tells us in Aramaic is Talitha kumi, uh, the child gets up at once. Uh, Peter, with Dorcas, sends everyone out of the room, kneels down and prays. He's not Jesus, after all. Uh, and, and so he seeks God's power here. And then he turns to the body and says, Tabitha, arise. Which, in Aramaic, would be one letter different from what Jesus said. Jesus said, Talitha, little girl, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. Uh, and then Peter takes her by her hand and raises her up. Uh, that's quite uh, possibly why uh, Luke mentions both of her names, by the way, both Tabitha and Dorcas. He could have just said Dorcas, but that wouldn't echo Jesus' words in uh, the Gospels, little girl I say to you, arise. Well, what's the point? Why this echo of Jesus' ministry here? Because Peter and the apostles uh, are, are continuing the ministry of Jesus. Uh, they, they represent Jesus even in a unique way. As apostles, uh, why do I say it's unique? I mean, don't don't we all represent Jesus? Uh, yes, we do. But there's something uh, unique about the apostles. We see it in this story. Uh, notice verses thirty-seven and thirty-eight uh, of, of chapter nine. Verse thirty-seven. Uh, We're told, in those days she, Tabitha, Dorcas, became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Why did they call for Peter? You know, some people, as they read through the Gospels and the book of Acts, and they see the healings there. They say that, that Christians can de- today can all do the same thing. Right? We should all uh, be able to heal people or raise them from dead from the dead. If only we have enough faith, we would be able to do such things. Which means the disciples in Joppa lacked faith. Now think about it. What they, they call for Peter to come. And when Peter came, he should have rebuked them and said, why did you need me? Right? You, you have faith, right? You should have healed them. You should have raised her from the dead. If they could do the same thing, why call Peter? Why not just raise Tabitha themselves? Why not just pray themselves? That's what Peter did. And the answer is, of course, that the apostles had a unique healing ministry in their day, which testified to their official position as eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus. That's what they were. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus in in a way that no one since uh, can be because we weren't there to see him rise from the dead. And the Christians in their day recognized that, even of the apostles, and so they turned to Peter to raise Tabitha from death. So Peter had this unique, unrepeatable ministry to bear witness to the resurrected Christ and to manifest that resurrection power by raising Aeneas from his sickbed and Tabitha from death. Now, I can pretty much guarantee that that is not your spiritual gift. Uh... There, there are leaders in the church today, to be sure, uh, there are preachers and teachers, evangelists, there are those who represent Jesus by proclaiming him publicly and from house to house, but, but even leaders in the church today are not apostles. And it's true that all Christians are called to be ready to tell of the risen King Jesus as we have opportunity, but, but what we see is that Christians that people in the church, all of us, have other kinds of gifts for ministry, some of which we even see in this passage right we we see very practical ministry in this passage think about tabitha right think about dorcas don't forget about dorcas what was she known for we're told a little about her right luke mentions some very specific things verse 36 she's known for her good works and her acts of charity luke makes much of this right he mentions it once and then he mentions that the widows the objects of her charity wept at the death of dorcas they showed Peter the garments that Dorcas had made for them, testifying to her ministry, testifying to her piety. Verse 41, 41 says, Peter presented Dorcas to the saints and the widows, which may at least imply, maybe not, but may imply that some of the widows were not saints. Hence, two categories, the saints and the widows. Uh, meaning, if that's the case, Dorcas's ministry of mercy extended to those outside the body of Christ. Dorcas is this symbol of very practical, tangible, concrete love. She cared for the widow. She provided for those in need. She used her resources of time and money to make clothing for those who had none. Then we have Simon, right? Simon, right at the end of the passage. Simon is uh, this symbol of very simple hospitality. Uh, For many days, Peter stays with one Simon, a tanner. Simon opens his home to Peter. In those days, there there weren't many Hampton Inns, there were no eye hotels, and uh, travelers relied on the hospitality of strangers, especially Christians, right, who might not have been received favorably, uh, or might not have received a favorable reception by either Jews or Romans. They needed the hospitality of the saints. And so Simon opens his home. He invites Peter in to stay for many days. It was an unexpected visit, you remember, right? They called him from Lydda to Joppa, so it wasn't like Simon had time to prepare. Luke, by the way, seems to have a special interest in those who showed hospitality as he often mentions their names. Again, details that seem otherwise unimportant. What difference does it make where Peter stayed in Joppa? Luke finds these people important. And yet we're slow to follow their example, aren't we? Uh, Our homes are are, are not ready, we said. Uh, We don't have meals planned. We can't have people over now. I don't think Simon worried about all that. I'm sure he had much less than we do. I'm sure his home had a funny smell. Did he light candles before uh, Peter arrived? Whatever the case, he opened his home and he offered what he had. You see, each of these people, Peter and Tabitha and Simon, they're all playing their own role in God's mission. Peter's amazing, miraculous, unique, unrepeatable gifts, Dorcas's good works and acts of charity, her kindness to widows in need, Simon's willingness to open his home and to offer what he had. Of course, the question that that comes to us is, is, okay, what gifts has God given you? What opportunities do you have? Where is God calling you to serve? We serve God, of course, in all kinds of ways. We we do that through our vocations. We do it through speaking about Jesus. We do it through acts of charity and kindness. Uh, That's how we offer ourselves up a living sacrifice to God, by offering our our whole selves to Him, offering everything up to Him, our every moment. For every one of us, of course, that's going to look different. Where is God calling you to serve? That's gonna look different from one person to the next. It's also gonna look different, different from one season of life to the next. We have different amounts of time at different periods of our lives. Where is God calling you to serve him right now by serving others for his name's sake? Which once we start to think about that, we immediately have to turn to think about God's power. I mentioned at the start how inadequate I personally feel uh, to be a pastor. And the real reason is because of how quickly I forget God's power. That God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Uh, Peter's healings, of course, are this clear sign of Jesus' resurrection power, right? Uh, Aeneas is told, uh, "...Jesus heals you, and he commands him to rise." Uh, Peter prays for Tabitha before commanding her to rise. Both are clear signs of Jesus' resurrection power. Jesus died for sin, but he defeated death by rising from the dead. And having conquered death, his resurrection power is made available to us. In part, what that means is we have the hope of rising from the dead on the last day. When we will experience in fullness the resurrection power of Jesus. Aeneas rising from his sickbed and Tabitha rising from her deathbed are signs of that hope. Little glimpses, little glimmers of what is to come for all of us. There will come a day when we will all rise from our sickbed. When we will all rise from our deathbed. When we will get out of the grave and we will dwell with Jesus forever. That's our hope. Our hope is in his resurrection power. But that, that same power is available to us in another way. Uh, as disciples of Jesus, which, which Tabitha is said to be, and Simon is at least implied to be, uh, we are given new life. Uh, their, their acts of love and hospita- hospitality bear witness to Christ's resurrection power at work within them. It's only by abiding in the vine that we bear fruit. It's only by Jesus' work in us that we can do any good. As we do good, we bear witness then to Jesus' resurrection power at work in us. As we do good, we are pointing people away from ourselves and to God's power made perfect in our weakness. And the end result of all of these stories, both the three stories of healing in the Gospel of Luke and uh, these two stories in the book of Acts, the end result is actually the same in almost every case. It becomes known to all the people in that region, and at least here in Acts, many turn to Jesus. God uses these signs of resurrection life to bear witness to Jesus' power and to bring all kinds of people to himself. Are you inadequate for such a task? Of course you are. It's not about you, but it's about His resurrection power at work in you. Right? Too often we stress out, how, how is God going to use me? How can I possibly do this? How could I possibly speak to my neighbor? How can I love somebody in Jesus' name? Don't stress about it. Right? Pray that God will guide you and use you to make His resurrection power and grace known. Let's pray. Our Father, we do pray for just that. We pray that you would guide us, that you would use us to make your power and grace known. Help us to remember that it's not about us. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our strength. It's not about our ingenuity. uh, It's not about how much love we ourselves can work up in our hearts. It's about your grace at work in our hearts. It's about your grace at work in and through us. It's It's about your power made perfect in our frailty and in our failing. Father, we pray that you would make your power known in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.